Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here once again, as if time is just on a repeating loop. My life is just one big Groundhog Day. It's Howard Tybal. This is all I do, by the way, about <laughs> this podcast. My life is the podcast. As it is mine. How are you this morning, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm doing yeah? great. I'm very doing excited great. about uh, the conversation we're going to have today. Today, uh, a fantastic guest. Now, we've already had a guest from his organization, uh, Unimarket, great friends of the show. You might uh, remember Brian Sweeney. We're, we'll post uh, the link to our latest Brian Sweeney episode uh, in the show notes today. CEO of Unimarket, Peter Kane. Peter, welcome to Navigating Change. Uh, thanks, Pete. Really good to be joining you guys. This this idea of dog fooding, this was actually your idea as we were sort of uh, uh, spitballing ideas about what we were going to talk about today. And we landed on this concept of dog fooding. And, and it's one that Howard and I have been talking about uh, in a, a rather roundabout way, I think, over the last year. It's this idea of how we build institutions that are as adaptable and willing to change as are the students that we are educating. And, and sometimes when we run into these sort of roadblocks, when we hit loggerheads, often, uh, you know, we look back at this, uh, at, at the situation, and realize maybe we're not as adaptable as we love to think we are. What I love about that concept, and it, and it can be a bit of a contentious concept, but this idea that we, looking honestly at our willingness to have our back office, our systems, our supports be as good as, for example, the academic experience we produce for our students. And I think that's a, that's a pretty high bar. Uh, when, you look at, when you look at this and, and, and you look at the sort of the higher education as a, as a particular industry, uh, what's, your, what's been your experience from what you've heard from people uh, in your teams that, that cause you to say, you know what, why, why can't we raise the bar here? What, what are some of the observations you've taken away from this, this dilemma of being as good as what we deliver to our students? Yeah, well, um, an interesting point about that is that um, how higher education talks about itself, uh, and, and this is from the internal um, you know, runnings of the university side of things as opposed to the student side, but how they talk about themselves is um, uh, reluctant to change, um, not not best in terms of being uh, modern and use of technology and so forth. So, so that in itself is a is an issue if they talk about themselves in that way. What, one of the things I love about higher education is that you know there's no there's no more important endeavour than than universities. It's shaping the minds of the future. It's it's what leads to young kids being able to get out of poverty and so forth. So, so it has, you know, it's where, where most of the research for things that are going to change the future of the world is going to come from. It, it usually gets seeded within higher education institutions. So, so there's nothing more important, you know, in, in society, in, in, my, in my mind, uh, than, than education. So it has a very, very critical role. Mm. But why shouldn't it be as good internally in terms of what it's trying to produce um, externally, and it does seem to be that the back office administrative side of higher education, uh, it's a real struggle for them to be pushing, at, and, and I think they should be pushing more quickly. Uh, there should be an imperative and urgency around uh, around making themselves more efficient and, and more effective. 
So, yeah. so the observations I would have is one, A, they talk about themselves like it's really, really hard work to make change. Uh, and at the same time, they're actually very keen to be adopting um, new technology. So, so there's an interesting sort of, you know, juxtaposition between uh, a willingness and an openness to, to want to be doing things, but but uh, almost a concept that the machinery makes it hard. That's a that's a, a fascinating uh, observation, and it's one that I, uh, you know, in my work with in, with my own institution, we have really mastered the uh, success through suffering uh, methodology of, of mm. communicating with teams. Like <laughs> we we have made it so so difficult on ourselves, but it's our own doing, and it, it really comes down to, uh, I think, what you're poking at here is this idea that language matters, and we have mm. so internalized. Uh, the script of we can't change, we can't work together, we're mired in the past, too many legacy systems, it would be impossible for us to do what we demonstrate in class for ourselves. Um, and, and, you know, drives right back to your, to your point about, uh, you know, even user interface and engagement and ease of use, um, all of that I think, drives straight down to, uh, you know, when you get it right, to this idea of building teams uh, and to individual employees who are comfortable and feel safe to make change. They are a more empowered body as a result. If, if we're really serious about wanting to make these improvements, we got to find a way to tell a different story. And what that comes down to, because I think for every example we have where an institution appears to be uh, moving too slowly around, for example, e-procurement or strategic investments, uh, finding ways to have their procurement area become uh, a sort of a strategic lever and and influencing up to their CFO and their cabinets in a powerful way. I think as many examples as we have that are uh, challenged, we've got examples of leaders out there who are making change. Some because they feel the urgency is great for their institutions and, and others because that's what their mindset is. I mean, ultimately in your work, Peter, in my work, the best people to be working with are those who are interested in implementing something and making some of these changes happen. And, and I have worked over the many years with those where it feels at times like pulling teeth and other times they are pushing me to raise the bar. Uh, the nature of the market is huge. I mean, there are so many institutions out there. Uh, I would imagine that for you, the concept of having an internal partner is a critical success factor uh, for a project working with Unimarket for it to be successful. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, one of the things that, um, because because of our belief in how important you know, taking your customers through that journey is our whole business model is geared around being incentivized uh, to do that very thing because, um, uh, you know, that in the technology industry, um, uh, for whatever reasons, it's um, at times had a bad reputation as being, uh, you know, drop and run sort of implement technology, but not really only care about putting in the technology uh, and not really caring about the outcome and. Uh, and how effective it is, and so forth. So, so we've geared ourselves specifically to have a business model that actually incentivizes us to be with our customers for for, for the journey. And um, you know, I think you would have got the sense at the uh, at the user conference uh, how enthusiastic our customers are about the impact that implementing the UniMarket technology is actually having in their 
um, in their institutions. Well, you know what they're excited about, and th- this is what I have found over the years too, is that when you exceed people's expectations, and sometimes our expectations are low, but when you exceed their expectations in terms of really being customer-focused, uh, I think you can go such a long way to to have people say, you know what, this is this is what we've been looking for, and and I think the history of external partners or vendors or whatever you want to call those on the outside that are providing these technology solutions, the history has been for the most part pretty poor, because the focus has has been, as you said, about putting in systems. And then moving on to the next thing, and and I think it's only been because of so many failures or, or partial successes, where people don't feel the return on investment, and that that to me is the is the end point. And I remember talking about this uh, when you were in the conference. Is this idea that in the end, if we're going to put these changes in and we're going to put people through. You know, Pete. I, you know, you know. I talk about this value of despair. Oh yeah. So I presented this in front of the group, and and when Peter was talking, he he reframed it wonderfully as the as the what you what was the new one, Peter? Was the it was the uh, it was the hill of hope? What oh, was the, it? The, yeah, the mountain of opportunity. The mountain of opportunity, right? So so, <laughs> I prefer that to hill of hope, Howard. Aspire yeah. to largesse. <laughs> mountain of opportunity. See, he had it right there. But but. In the end, whether it's whether it's looking at that that phase of, of challenge when people go through change as people are challenged with it. In the end, Peter, it's really about a return on investment. So you know, when you look at partnering with an institution, how do you how do you help them see the return on investment on the front end when it, when the truth is it's going to take some time. In some ways, one of the challenges I've found is that we have to really do a, a good job of managing internal expectations. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. I, I think a, lo- a lot of the challenge that particularly um, procurement folks uh, internally is, ra- is around the whole uh, business case and how do they sell the need for change and what the benefits would be. I think one of the wonderful things about, uh, and not just Unimarket, but you know, SaaS-based um, solutions these days is they're not necessarily, and certainly not with ourselves, uh, very expensive, um, uh, you know, implementation of technology. Um, so it's it's much a it's got a lower technology risk, and it's more affordable and it's a lower cost. So the business case, you know, should be much easier to understand. Uh, and and in my in my mind, it's it's a no brainer. And there's there's lots of you know um, evidence from independent parties around the benefits that e procurement. Uh, you know, brings. So a simple example of a couple of our customers, Nassau, uh, which has been a customer for a few years now in um, in Long Island, the system paid for itself within nine months. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it, it actually isn't necessarily a long uh, journey that they need to be thinking about from, from that financial benefits point of view. Um, but But I think the benefits go actually much wider than than the financial return. To my way of thinking, the financial return is a no-brainer. There's, you know, why wouldn't you um, be doing e-procurement a, 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 a for, for the level of, an, of an, on investment that's required? But where I see that the great spin-offs for this sort of technology, and, and you mentioned it earlier, in, ter- in terms of talking about employee engagement, uh, you know, I, I think um, one of the greatest and probably least talked about benefits with e-procurement 
is employee empowerment and cultural change. Mm, say more if, about if, that. Well, you know, our key focus is actually on the end user and making things easy for the for the user. So we're trying to, you know, it's like trying to bringing you know the simplicity of Amazon type technology into the workplace. Yeah, and um, uh, and and not only does that sort of drive adoption of the system of value, but 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 what does it do for someone if if instead of being frustrated by internal processes and paper and all of that, uh, when it comes to them coming to work and doing um, in, in possibly the small part of, amount of time that they use um, buying the things that they need for their job, if that process is really, really easy, uh, how does that affect the rest of their day in terms of their mindset and how productive they potentially are? And what does it say to them about the institution's um, concern and care for them and how things are easy for them, that the institution is actually making the investment to give them those sort of tools. Yeah. So I actually think there's a much sort of wider sort of cultural benefit that um, that these sort of technologies can um, can can push institutions that's that's much wider than the straight business case just about that, that yeah. um, technology. It's not just about the numbers. It's, it's about – because ultimately – if you find a way to have people feel better about their ability to get their job done well, uh, you're going to have a happier employee. It's that simple. And this is an area of frustration for lots of people, especially when we put some new technology in. We often go from feeling satisfied or complacent with a mediocre solution to being frustrated about having a solution that may get us to, to the end, but it is harder to use. And, and to me, the, the power is the fact that you have that as your primary focus is how are we going to make it more possible for people to do their work well? And, and, and I love the simplicity of the Amazon model, right? This idea of we have all become, we, we know, we all know now how to shop online. And for the most part, providing people with an insight about how you can do this in your work. But what's so fascinating, I'm sure for you, it must be at times frustrating because uh, here you've got a solution and it's it's almost like how do you get the message out so people can really see the benefit before they're actually experiencing it. Experiencing it. And that, that to me is the, is the real challenge in both your work and my work is how do they see the benefit on the front end? So when you guys get in there and you're working with folks, do you have that conversation as you're starting a project? Yes, we do. The best ways of painting those pictures, uh, in many cases, is actually to talk to other uh, to other institutions who who have done it. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know Creighton University, which is in uh, Nebraska, um, just one simple thing with them that they reduce their cycle time from doing uh, purchase orders from eight days to twenty hours. From implementing the technology, so imagine the level of frustration there must have been previously with eight days, you know, just to get something processed through the system. You know, there's a fascinating connection here. I, that uh, observation I just want want to make with this idea of usability building in in a more adaptive uh, w- workforce, and and you both have mentioned this sort of Amazon um, as a metaphor for ease of use. Isn't it interesting that? You know, in in the year 2000, for example, uh, boy, this success through suffering in our technology systems was was really the the lesson of the day. I mean, internal systems, um, internal intranets, they were very difficult to use uh, by today's comparison. But 
as we have matured as humans, uh, now we go out on the market and we are at home searching Google for things. We're buying things on Amazon. We are using these systems that have been designed for the consumer mindset, and we're bringing our consumer expectations with us into work. And I wonder if there isn't, uh, is, is that something you think about? And I think for both of you, when we, when we, when we think about the fact that we're bringing our expectations for how easy it is to implement new things at home to work, does that not set us up for at least better understanding some of the frustrations we have uh, in making change in the institution? Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Pete. And and, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. Um, those expectations are, are higher and higher. Uh, but that also should mean that the, uh, the, the actual process of getting adoption should actually be quite easy if you are bringing those sort of ease of use technology solutions. So, so the, the actual training and uh, onboarding element of implementing a solution like Unimarket is actually very straightforward because of that very fact. It's, it's actually using technology and the ease of use that, that people are used to um, from from their consumer lives at home. It really it, it really should be as easy for me to uh, acquire assets for the institution as it is for me to acquire paper towel through Amazon Subscribe and Save. And, and I think that that is driving uh, the need for uh, companies to provide solutions and even for institutions to – I mean, think about online learning – as a mechanism that's forcing uh, institutions to look at how they deliver their own classes and, and flipping the classroom. So I think that as, we, as technology improves, uh, it puts that internal pressure for people who are used to doing things a certain way to say, maybe we should think differently. You know, what I think, Peter and Pete, that I think is going to we, – we're at the – right at the crest of, I think, some – really big, exciting uh, changes ahead. And some of it's going to be driven by you know, the cost, the cost structure. And, and, and it seems to me, Peter, you are directly in square in that, in that world, which is, you know, when I, when I talk to the people that you're providing services to, whether it's the chief business officer, whether it's the procurement director, whether it's a buyer, one of the things I keep reminding them is there's no other division in an institution who has the data to then make the case. What, what, we, what we haven't done sufficiently well yet is to really empower and teach people who, have, who are the owners of the data to be telling the story of the data. See, the data is not the story. The story needs to be supported by the data. And I think that's partly where the real power lies in this conversation, which is how do we get people who live in the world, who get access to your tools that can look at these reports to tell a story about why we need to change. And that to me is what the real power of providing ease of use and the kind of um, – access that you are providing for institutions to then take the next step. But, uh, but I think we're still infants in that conversation about how to tell a good story through the chain so that people are committed to change. Uh, I, I, I think uh, one, one of the powerful aspects of these tools, exactly as you pointed out, is the amount of information and the quality of the information and, and granularity of information that it can provide 
Uh, and then, of course, the challenge is, is how do you interpret and act upon that information um, uh, to make sure that you're continually becoming more efficient and reducing your costs over time. And, and as you also alluded to, um, this, this imperative for organisations to reduce the cost of education, um, given the you know, escalating you know, year-on-year year increases, which really there's, there's not much justification for why that should be the case. Uh, it really should be year-on-year year reductions in, in the cost of education. What I was interested in, Peter, is when you look ahead in the next year, two years, given, given your role to to lead and then, you know, in a sense, I'm sure to, to empower others to be able to think about not just design, but integrating and and involving themselves with with the institutions. When you look ahead over the next year or two, what, what are some things that you see uh, that Unimarket's looking to position itself to do? Uh, or, or provide even more value uh, over this next period of, of a year and two years? Yeah, well, there's, there's two things I'd, I'd comment on. Uh, one is um, very much what we're looking to do at, at, uh, at the moment is, is not only bringing this ease of use, uh, e-procurement aspect, but actually looking at the whole uh, procurement life cycle and bringing in the one place, uh, and, and this is why we talk about simple and easy to use technology that brings all of your procurement into one place. So we, we have a sourcing uh, module which is fully integrated with the e-procurement, which is fully integrated with contracts management. So uh, trying to actually say if you've got a, a, a single interface which is really easy for people to use, let, let, let's get everything we're trying to do in into that same single easy-to-use interface and enable us to manage a lot more of what we're doing with um, uh, with procurement through that uh, through that single medium. So, so that's what we're sort of seeing um, in, the, in the in the near term. The the other thing that that I'd really like to be seeing more of is collaboration between universities using the technology. Mm. Uh, so um, th there's definitely real opportunities for universities to work together um, and if they're using the same tool, so a number of Unimarket customers, and some of them have done this, but in, in quite small pockets, there's real opportunity for them to actually work together in the same uh, tool because it's a multi-tenant that means all of our uh, customers on a single instance of the solution. So there's there's real opportunity, I think, for 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 much closer collaboration and even more savings to be uh, to be achieved so that's that's the thing that I'm looking forward to over the next couple of years I'll, I'll tell you why I think that's really exciting because in my conversations with higher ed leaders one of the things that they're looking more critically at is these ideas of uh, strategic alliances and the most obvious strategic alliances are back office systems the reason these haven't happened in many cases, is because of the complexity and the fact that we don't feel like we can, without causing a disruption in operations, find a way to work together. But if if the ease of use uh, becomes present for ourselves and another institution that we could partner with, that could be 
the differentiator for why uh, an institution would then say, Let, let's, let's partner on this. And that is a huge opportunity for cost reduction. Uh, there's cultural elements about why institutions have a hard time thinking that way. But I, I, I am certain, Peter, that over time, we're going to see more and more of those, more of those examples. And as they become more known, for example, in, in the higher ed publications like The Chronicle and Business Officer, and as, as college presidents are talking about this, we're going to see more and more of those kind of strategic alliances. So I think you are, you are well positioned around that concept, and I think it's a, it's a brilliant direction to go. Yeah, well, really, we're we're really excited about um, you, you know the opportunity that's that that's presented in the market. So um, the future is looking very good from our perspective. It is, uh, it, it's it, it is a bright future, and these best in class institutions who already realize just how important it is to dog food toward adaptability and change. I think uh, they get it, uh, and and it's fun to see the growth that can come out of it. Um, uh, Peter Kane, where would you like to, to invite people to learn more about you and Unimarket? Uh, well, our website for a start, um, unimarket.com. Uh, uh, Actually, we've just been through a, a branding and uh, uh, process where we sort of reskinned our uh, our website, so that's a great place um, to go. They can also find us on uh, LinkedIn, of course, um, uh, as well. But um, yeah, the, the website in the first uh, first port of call. So here's what you don't know, Pete, about Peter. Um, he's quite an athlete, you know. So I'm not, I'm not going to let you get away with not sharing. Is this a triathlon? What did you finish just training, or did you tell t- tell us where you are in this next? Uh, Thing that I'm never going to do. Oh, oh, well, I, um, well, I, well, I was, and uh, you know, obviously we had the, the the conference in Chicago, but I had been there the previous month for uh, for the age group world champs of uh, triathlon, which were in Chicago, which is a great, great, great venue for it, um, which is uh, Olympic distance. Uh, I'm actually uh, training at the moment for a half Ironman in New Zealand in Taupo in uh, about three weeks' time. How much so, long are you going to keep yeah. doing this? As You're long making... as I can. As long as I can. <laughs> you've got to have this. You've got to have the balance between, you know, um, uh, the mental activity and the physical act- activity, and just to keep everything, uh, uh, keep keep everything working. The, he- yeah. the healthier you are, the the the, the easier it is to use the the top two inches anyway. Well, that's why Howard and I have been working so hard to put together the uh, Navigating Change Triathlon, and uh, I'm, I'm very—it's an Ironman triathlon. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, um, I'm, gonna, I'm a starter. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to walk to Portland, well, <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to walk to Boston, yeah, Pete. That's right. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll meet you in Denver. Uh, This has been a great conversation, and uh, kudos to you, uh, Peter, on your uh, athletic triumphs. That's uh, that's fantastic and aspirational, certainly, for me. Uh, We appreciate you coming to us uh, via the the cans and string that we have hobbled together to talk to you from New Zealand today. You sound great. Uh, It's been a a pleasure. Yeah, no... uh, um... Uh, you know, we've um, we've we've used Howard a couple of times at our conferences with our um, customers, and they uh, they they love him and his material. It's, it's very uh, insightful. So it's been a pleasure to uh, uh, to talk with you guys today. Thank you one more time to Peter Kane, CEO of Unimarket. On behalf of Howard Tybel, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybel Inc.